welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We have a sermon coming at you from the book of Exodus chapter 18. I will go ahead and read those verses now. Then we have call and response prayer and sermon from the second book of the Bible, Exodus. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord God had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take another moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be gathered here this morning, and we pray that you would give us your spirit of illumination, that we would truly hear from you and understand the very word of God. Father, thank you that you reveal yourself truly in these scriptures, and truly we see Jesus, the Savior from sin, the King of the world, the renewer of all things. Father, would we know what it is by faith to come to Jesus and experience an unburdening? We are burdened here this morning in various ways. Would you lift these burdens and bring us closer to Jesus? We ask in his name and for his sake. Amen. One very brief PSA before we jump into the sermon from here. On Friday morning on our Facebook page, I wanted to let you know that I went Facebook Live and gave a few thoughts about the insurrection in Washington that occurred on Wednesday when I prayed just a moment ago. We are feeling a lot of heavy emotions right now 
all of that is true, and it felt good and necessary for me to give you a few orienting thoughts about all of the craziness that's happened and in many ways is still happening. It is a really weird period. We are with you and we're for each other in this time. If you want to hear a little bit more, I commend that Facebook. It's about 10 minutes long. Little announcement and dialogue from me on that Facebook page. So now here we are, Exodus chapter 18. When we think about kids, it is noble and sometimes comical when our kids tell us, or other people's kids, I don't want any help. I don't want to ask for help. I want to do it myself. And parents, if you have had young kids, you know the back and forth that occurs when there are kids that say, I don't need any help, don't want any help, I want to do it all myself. For example, shoelaces. I think watching my kids and trying to help them and struggle with them tie their shoes has taken years off my life, both retrospectively, it feels like it's literally taken that long, and then prospectively, moving forward from here, I will live less long because of the tussles that I've had with my children about shoelaces. It's this back and forth where I don't need help, I want to do it myself, but they can't do it, then they ask for help and you help them a little bit, and it's like, get your hands off! I, I want to do this myself. I can do it. And it goes on from there, trying to open jars of different kinds, whether it's a little jar of food or medicine. Way back in the day, there was a faux SNL commercial about a medicine jar that just couldn't be opened, and it was called Try Open It. And the whole commercial said, I can't figure out how to open this jar. When my kids were trying to open jars when they were younger, Dad, I can do this myself. I don't want to ask for help. Hey, can you help me a little bit? I say, oh, is that Try Open It? They never get the joke, but I laughed on the inside or plastic ketchup bottles. When the little kid wants to squirt the ketchup himself or herself onto the tater tots or the hot dog or the burger, whatever it is, I want to do it myself, but they can't quite do it. And so the parent comes and primes the plastic bottle a little bit. Then it's, wait, let me do it, let me do it, let me do it. And then we give it back to the kid and it becomes a little bit, from that point when the ketchup is squeezed, it looks like Texas Chainsaw Massacre all around because the ketchup goes absolutely everywhere. So that back and forth with kids, want to do it myself, don't want to ask for help, requires some patience, but there is reward there too as we see our children growing. But here's the thing. When we were kids, it was funny, noble, when we said, I want to do it myself, I don't want to ask for help. But by and large, we carry some of those same patterns, some of those same habits into adulthood. And then a lot of the time for us as adults, when we say, I don't need any help, I don't want to ask for help, I want to do it myself, the stakes are a little bit higher and the consequences become a little more tragic. Maybe there are times in our lives when there was a goal that we should have run towards, but we didn't ask for help. We said we could do it ourselves, and it caused some damage. There was some collateral damage. Or at the very least, I don't need help means that whatever it is just doesn't get done. Maybe there are areas in your life, even here this morning in January, going into 2021, when there are some goals ahead of you that you say, yeah, I should probably pursue these things, but I can do it myself and I'm not going to ask for help. Maybe it's quitting a habit of one kind or another. 
Maybe it's taking a step of discipline that you think, I know I should really move in this direction. Maybe it's starting or following through a business or a project. I know I should do this. Don't need any help. Maybe it's repairing a relationship, working on forgiveness with somebody else where you just feel stuck and you stay stuck because you're not asking for outside help. Maybe you know and you feel compelled to show up in the community to serve and engage and be a good citizen more, but week after week, month after month, nothing happens because you're not asking for help. And you think to yourself, I can do it myself. And so as we carry these patterns into adulthood, on one hand, yeah, it's great for us to try to accomplish things, but then that impulse, I can do it myself, I don't want to ask for help, often can become our own worst enemy. So often, we are so slow to ask for help. Why? We'll examine that question. But understand, too, as you're tuning in here this morning or watching later on, a Christian sermon, you have come to the right place. Because one way to think about the Christian story, Christianity, is that it is all about asking for help. That's what the cross, the center of the Christian story says. You are helpless. You need help. And that hits us sometimes, hopefully, as good news, but then also as bad news. The bad news, what do you mean I can't do X myself? But then also, on the other hand, we recognize that we need it. And the living Lord, God Almighty, has designed the church of Jesus Christ as a safe place for us to say before God and to each other, you know what? I can't do this by myself. God, I need help. Brother, sister, I need help. So we're not too far into 2021 yet. What thing, what goal, what area of your life, where do you need to ask for help? So that's what we're talking about here this morning, if you haven't gotten the drift so far. Asking for help in three bite-sized segments from here. Why we should, why we don't, and then steps that we can take. Asking for help, why we should, why we don't, blockers, and then some steps that we can take. So we're continuing on in January. Our ministry emphasis for the year, community, and the sermon series on these things. And we're still tied, we'll be here a couple more weeks, to a book by a pastor named Rusty George, Better Together, Discovering the Power of Community. This morning is chapter 11, when Rusty George talks about how goals are better achieved together. We need to ask for help. And for that purpose, I have selected different passages from Exodus chapter 18 here this morning. I read the verses a moment ago, and this is the book of Exodus, like I said, the second book of the Bible, and it's after the Exodus proper. So already in the book of Exodus, God's ancient people, the Israelites, they have gone down to Egypt and become enslaved there, and God raises up Moses, who sees the burning bush, who appears before Pharaoh. Through Moses and Aaron, there are ten plagues. They leave Egypt, they cross the Red Sea on their way to the promised land, and this is where we meet the Israelites and Moses in Exodus chapter 18. And what we have here specifically is a conversation between Moses and his father in law, Jethro, of the tribe of Tull. Ah, see what I did there. And there's a recap in verses that 
crowd's going wild right now, I can tell. So in, ver in verses 8 and 9, we have a recap already. First verses I read. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And later on, we skip a couple verses and get back to the story in verse 13. What's going on right now is, hey, wait a second. As we're in the wilderness moving towards a promised land, there are a lot of people here. How do we deal with all of them? And Moses is confronted and is grappling with what amounts to an administrative bottleneck, verses 13 and 14. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And it seems like the conflict's going on here, not necessarily really horrible crimes. This is less criminal court, more like civil court, or maybe just Moses with case after case after case, just trying to help people get along. He's just one person, one man, having to adjudicate all of these different situations. And Jethro says, buddy, you have got to ask for some help. Verse 21. Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place them over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, so there's this tiered process, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves. It's like Jethro is saying, it would be so much easier and so much better if you would get some help. So this is an illustration, a window into why we should ask for help. Because too much of the time, what's before us and on our plate, the goals we're trying to achieve, are too much for us. Jethro says bluntly at the end of verse 18, you are not able to do it alone. And so let's ask the question, where or what are some areas in your life right now where you point blank are not able to do it alone. We'll try to do it alone anyway, but that's when we run up against some things, like things might blow up, or we'll burn out, or things will just plain old never happen. We're never going to change, and we're not going to hit those goals because we're too stubborn, let's be honest, to actually ask for help. We're like that little kid trying to tie their shoes. I can do it myself, but we can't. The flip side of this coin, however, is that there is joy to be experienced in sharing burdens with one another. The beginning of verse 18. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. Or, or the end of verse 22. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. And the result of this process, you can follow along later on in Exodus 18, Moses ends up saying, yeah, this is a good idea, and everybody's happy. Or as Jethro says in verse 23, if you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people will go to their place in peace. When we ask for help, peace and joy happen. And here's another layer. As we engage the worldwide church, as we engage the Christian story, understand, too, that there's a certain way in which for you, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, and you're not asking other people for help, you're saying, I can do this myself, you are stifling the work of the Holy Spirit. 
You're stifling the work of the Holy Spirit because God's Holy Spirit loves working collectively, loves working together. There's a later episode, two books later, in the first few books of the Bible, the Israelites are still wandering in the wilderness. There's another issue where Moses needs more help. God says, yeah, I'll do that. And as you share responsibilities and burdens, I'm going to share my spirit with them too. So Numbers chapter 11, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you, Moses, God says, and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Let God's spirit work jointly. In Christian theology, the Holy Spirit is not like a whole bunch of mini-me's in different Christians. It's not like George Foreman and his family, where he has all these kids, and they're all named George, but they're discreet little Georges. There aren't discreet little Holy Spirits running around. There is just one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and yes, one Spirit who delights working jointly and collectively through the people of God. And if you're watching here this morning as somebody who says, I'm not sure I'm there yet with Jesus or Christianity, or maybe I'm taking a couple steps back. I don't know if this is true or real for me anymore. I would say that this is one of the ways in which, from a secular perspective, I don't see a comp. I don't see an analog. What we're saying here is not just, hey, it's better for you to ask for help. We are saying that. And within the context of coming to Jesus by faith, God is giving you a supernatural resource, namely the Holy Spirit, that is unlocked when we ask our brothers and sisters for help. So it's not just you and Johnny and Sally all together trying to get help. It's us plus God's Spirit working through us jointly. That's why we should ask for help, but then flip it around again. Why don't we? What are some blockers? If it were easier for us to ask for help, wouldn't we do it? But we don't. We stick to our gun saying, I can do it myself. And I wonder in Exodus chapter 18 here, why didn't Moses ask sooner for help himself? We don't know. It's speculation. Maybe this is just the natural progression of events where eventually Moses got to a tipping point that happened to coincide with Jethro being here. Maybe there were other issues going on in Moses' heart that were causing him to hold on to not wanting to get help for himself. We don't know. For Moses, we don't have access to his interior here, but we do have access to our own interiors. And there are some pretty easy reasons that we can identify in our own lives and hearts where, yeah, these are some reasons, these are some blockers as to why we don't ask for help. Like this. Why don't I ask for help more? Hubris. Vanity. Arrogance. Self-righteousness. I want to be able to say that I can do it myself because I will feel great about myself at that point. And we can triage this out a little bit. There is a good and a bad impulse, good and bad threads related to this idea, I can do it myself. We talk here at Liberty Collingswood about different horizons of the scriptures that come to us. One of them is a creation horizon, God has created all things good. Another is a fallen horizon, we mess things up. So according to the creation horizon, I want to be able to handle this and accomplish this and do this. That's awesome. For my own kids, I want them to be able to look at a challenge or a goal and say, I've got this. I can do this. But then from a fallen perspective, it curdles. And there is that vanity, that hubris, that arrogance, that self-righteousness that creeps in and makes us stubborn so we're stuck and damage ensues. 
We see that in our world. There's been plenty of stuff written from faith perspectives and from non-faith perspectives about the arrogance of the 20th century and the myth of progress. Think about this. Some of the people that most said about his or her own group or tribe or nation, we've got this, we can do this, we don't need help, we can perfect this, are some of the scariest people and scariest regimes of the 20th century. There's that arrogance and hubris writ large. Contemporary Southern writer John Jeremiah Sullivan says, hey, let's be realistic that so many of the ideas that we think now in the present moment, a couple hundred years from now, they might look pretty silly. He's put it this way. It's the human condition to be confused. Our mistakes now are hiding somewhere in plain sight. In 500 years, there will be two or three, three things we believed and went on about at great length with perfect assurance that will seem hilarious to them. Or on a smaller scale, here's something that I should do. Do I want to, in my heart of hearts, ask for help? No. Because I want to be able to accomplishment and say that I got all of the credit myself for these things. So we're blocked. We don't ask for help. And here's another reason we don't. Control. You might notice this about asking others for help. If you ask others for help, they're going to have opinions. And so now it's not just you in the bus by yourself. There are other people on board. And with things that we want to accomplish ourselves, we can think, this is my baby. And the reason that I'm not asking for other people's help is because I don't want to hear their thoughts about what's going on. This is my thing. And I wonder, again, we don't know this for sure, maybe this was going through Moses' mind when Jethro was saying, hey, find lots of other people so that they can judge cases and it's not just you. Sure, you'll be able to judge the big ones, the ones that are kicked upstairs to you. But as Moses is thinking of, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, all of these things that are going to be decided by other people and not me, maybe Moses himself is thinking, wait a second, did any of them see the burning bush? No, that was me. That was this guy. Did any of them appear before Pharaoh? Did any of them leave the Israelites in the Exodus out of Egypt? Did any of them leave, lead the charge through the Red Sea? Did Mel Brooks portray any of them in movies that he made later on? No, it was all me. Why should I trust a big project to these other people? I have that same control impulse myself. Or here's another one, fear. Why don't we ask for help? Why do we say I can do all of this on my own by myself? Because we're afraid. Have you ever had the experience, and I would guess that most of us have, when you're at the end of your rope, you feel really stuck. It seems like this thing in front of you is not going to change. You ask for help. You ask for help. A couple of dear friends say yes, but then they let you down. And they don't help. We carry those hurts and that damage for a long time. And maybe if you've been hurt by people that let you down when you ask them for help, maybe that's one of the reasons why you're like, never again. I don't want to do that again. And also fear of failure can be a blocker for us for asking for help. This isn't going to work. I'm not going to get where I feel like this needs to go. It's better just not to try. 
If I don't try and if I don't ask for help, I don't really face this thing in front of me so I can just bury it a little bit more. And if I ask for help trying to achieve something that doesn't happen, I'm not only letting myself down, I'm letting all of these other people down too. That's more disappointment, more failure, more shame, water that's just going to come upon my deck. I don't need it right now. Or how about this? I don't want to ask for help. It's not just the pride. It's not just the hubris. It's not just the control. It's not just the fear. It's laziness. The path of less resistance is simply not to seek help from anyone. Maybe you see yourself in one or more of these categories. And let's understand too, friends, brothers, and sisters, this is why we need Jesus. Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. Every story in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, looks forward to Jesus as the culminating climax of all of God's redemptive activity before and after the New Testament looks back to Jesus crucified and resurrected and speaks to the reality of the Spirit continuing to apply Jesus' redemption and renewal in the world. This is why we need Jesus, among other things I've talked about before. The cross says, you are not all that. And your vanity your hubris, your self-righteousness, your pride, it is completely, comically unfounded. The cross says, hey, you're empty and broken too. You might not mess up in these ways where you feel so superior to those other folks that are messing up there. You might be good there, but you are messing up in these other ways where they're not. Nobody's record is clean. That's why we need Jesus to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sin. And it's Jesus, and the church confesses Jesus centrally, Jesus alone, that gives us a shield and healing from all of those fears and all of those hurts that we carry. Come under the wings of Jesus by faith so that you can know his healing from all of those harms. I've still got you, and I love you. And they understand this feel of failure and the shame where things didn't go the way that you wanted them to go. The good news is that you're not loved on the basis of what you do or don't accomplish. It's on the basis of what Jesus has accomplished for you. You are freed of your performance anxiety for your entire life because Jesus has performed, has worked in your place, canceled the debt for sin, and risen again because he is our representative. Just as Moses in this chapter, Exodus 18, represents the people before God, verse 19. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, Jethro says, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. As we sing sometimes here at Liberty Collingswood, our names are written on his hands. Our names are written on Jesus' hands. And Jesus, in his work on the cross, brings us to the Father as our head, as our representative, and says, Father, remember how much we love these broken, sinful people. Father, don't look at their mess. Look at my perfection. And would you share my resurrection forgiveness and life and power with anybody and everybody that comes to me by faith? Brothers and sisters, friends, we need help. And so let's wrap up here with a couple of thoughts about steps that we can take. Like I asked at the beginning of the sermon, what are some areas in your life in 2021 where you should ask for help? Where you can't do it by yourselves. Maybe it's something inward, 
like tra- trying to quit a habit or quit a sin. Maybe this relates to something like a finance seminar, maybe, or help from our finance team. Maybe you need to get out of debt. Maybe there are some generosity goals where 2021 is going to be the year where you are more generous with other people. Maybe it's a step of spiritual discipline that you need to take for yourself. Hey, brothers, sisters, I need some help with this. Maybe it's a health step. Maybe it's a mental health step as 2021 so far looks as crazy and as sad and as broken as 2020. I can't handle all of these headlines, all of these stress by myself or moving outward. Maybe there is that relationship that we need to work on that's broken, that's fractured, where forgiveness is not coming easily and you need a friend or two or a family member to say, hey, help me with this other person to work on this right now. Maybe there is that business or that project where you say, I need to do this. I need to start it. I need to follow through. Maybe it's some aspect of social justice where you're saying, this is the year where I roll up my sleeves and get more involved. This is a time where I better engage my own community and try to serve others. Whatever it is, the church of Jesus Christ is that safe place where we can ask God in Christ and ask others for help. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.